For I am crucified with Christ And yet I live Embrace the cross Where Jesus Welcome to Crossbound Ministries where we are bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, encouraging Christians and pointing sinners to the cross. Will you please pray about supporting our broadcast and ministry that gives us the ability to spread God's word. You can get involved by going to crossboundministry.com. Please welcome our preacher, Mike Sadler, as he brings us an important message from God's word. Embrace the love the cross requires cling to the one whose heart Amen. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 11. 2 Corinthians 5 verse number 11. As we're going through the book of Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, addressing many issues, answering questions, uh, telling them how to correct problems uh, in, in their own life, in their own church, and that applies to us today today amen you can apply this to your life so second corinthians chapter 5 verse number 11 the bible says knowing therefore the terror of the lord we persuade men but we are made manifest unto god and i trust also are made manifest in your conscience just that terminology just those words the terror of the Lord. You know, many people in the world, and they make bumper stickers, they make t-shirts, they make stickers about it. God is love. And yes, God is love, but God is also a God of wrath, a God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God of holiness. Amen. And so when you hear that, the terror of the Lord, that tells you that there's a lot more to God than just God is love, does it not? Paul here is wanting to get your attention, and I believe he has it by using that and by letting you know that there is some terror from the Lord. And you know, this verse is commonly is commonly taken to mean that since Paul was aware of God's terrible judgment on on sin on the world, and we're talking about the horrors of hell, the lake of fire, that he went everywhere to persuade men to accept the gospel. And that that is true. That is absolutely true. But that may not be the absolute primarily meaning uh, to this passage here. You see, Paul is not here speaking so much of the terror of the Lord for the unsaved, but actually for us that are saved. Because an unsaved person does not realize the real terror of the Lord. If they did, they would fall on their face right that second and get right with God, ask for forgiveness, repent of their sins, and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't believe the sinner really knows the terror of the Lord. Although they kick it around, they tell each other to go to where? It's never go to the grocery store or go to 7-Eleven. They tell them to go to the middle of the earth. That's the terminology they use, and they know that it's fire. Uh, but I don't believe that they fully and completely understand it or knew do they fully believe it. There's that doubt. Well, maybe God will just let me in. No, sir, no, ma'am. And I've heard him say that. 
Well, you just never know. God might just say, come on in. No, sir, no, ma'am. The Bible says that he will not, that he will cast you into the lake of fire. And so, but for a saved person, you know for a fact beyond the shadow of a doubt because you're saved in the Holy Spirit that resides within you, bears witness with your spirit that what the Bible says is true. And you know the real terror of the Lord. You can comprehend and you can understand because you have God in you explaining it to you that you can understand the real terror of the Lord. So as far as God is concerned, the apostle, the apostle here knows that his life is an open book. He wants everybody to see it. But he would like the Corinthians also to be persuaded of his, his integrity and his faithfulness and his ministry of the gospel. And by doing that, by living that out, uh, people can see that. That man believes what he's saying. That man believes what he's teaching. That man's saying that there is a terror of the Lord. And if you don't get saved, the wrath of God abides upon you. And so for the saved person, we know what the terror of the Lord is. And we do want others to be saved because we know the terror of the Lord is what he's saying. We know it that we should be persuading the lost. And should the lost people see this, read this, and heed this? Absolutely, they should. But truthfully, all you can do is tell a person what they do with the gospel, what they do with the Bible, what they do with Scripture is between them and God. You cannot force one thing on them, even if it's your own child. As much as I want all my children to be saved, I cannot force that upon them. They have to accept that personally for themselves. And such is the case with every person that has ever walked the face of the planet. Amen. It is a personal choice. And there's something so sacred, God won't touch it, and that is your free will. But the Bible says, Paul says here, knowing therefore that we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We make manifest the gospel, amen, to their conscience. Notice he says that at the end. He says, I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. See, God gave you a meter of good, right, and wrong. It's called a conscience. So when you witness somebody, speak to their conscience. There's something in them that says, I know this is wrong, and I know this is sin. I know I shouldn't lie. I know I shouldn't steal. That's a God-given conscience. And that's the same thing with the Bible talked about. A person can have their conscience seared. Uh, they've went so far in sin that sin doesn't bother them anymore. Like a smoke alarm. You know, a smoke alarm is a great thing. It'll save your life. If a fire goes off, you'll choke to death or you'll burn to death in that fire. But because of a smoke alarm that goes off and makes an annoying noise that you don't like and you don't like the way it feels or sounds, but it gets your attention and it lets you know there's a problem. A person's conscience is the same thing. It's annoying. It gets on you, but it lets you know that something's not right. I've got to fix something. And a person can, can dull that enough or they can take the batteries out of the smoke detector because I don't want to hear it anymore. Now, that does not save them from standing before a thrice holy God. That just makes it even worse. So he says, make manifest in your conscience. When you witness to a person, 
speak to their conscience, not to the, just to the person. And that's what the law does. That's what the commandments do. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. Amen. Those things. That's speaking to the person's conscience, their God-given conscience. Amen. Because you know the terror of the Lord. You want to persuade them. Look with me now, verse number 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and in heart. Paul says, for we commend not ourselves. In other words, I'm not lifting myself up. I'm not praising myself. I'm giving that occasion to you. You can praise us. And the Bible does say that. That let another man's lips praise thee. I try to be so careful in lifting myself up. Even when we talk about ministry. Because it's easy for a preacher to say, well, I had 100, 500 in church this week. Or I had, I reached. But careful. Pride can creep in. And pride is such a destroyer of everything ministry and family and relationships and everything there is pride will destroy it so immediate here paul realizes that he just said it might be misinterpreted as as you know self-praise lifting himself up in pride he but he doesn't want anyone to think that he doesn't want anybody to think i'm commending my own self i'm lifting myself up that doesn't mean that he's never commended himself but here he does say but give you occasion to glory on our behalf. If you want to glory on our behalf, if you're happy that we're moving forward in the ministry, amen to that. And listen, there's something to be said when it's somebody else uh, saying something good about you. Uh, when you lift your own self up, when you talk about how great you are, people just see that as pride, and that really just turns people off. But when other people have something good to say about you, that is so powerful and that's one thing that me and my wife have even learned in our own relationship in our own marriage what we say about each other when we're in public when we're at church when we're friends will determine and dictate and judge how people will actually see us always lift your spouse up always talk good about your spouse always publicly praise your spouse and watch what great and wonderful and mighty things it will do in your marriage and that's what paul's saying here i don't want to see like i'm committing myself you can lift this up you can talk about what glorious things we're doing and what god is doing in our life those great and mighty uh, wonderful things amen then there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong was saying, amen, brother, great job. Look what so-and-so is doing. That is awesome. Praise the Lord. As long as God is getting the glory out of it, amen, praise on. But make sure God's getting the glory, not the person, because we can do nothing. We can do nothing. I'll say that again. We can do nothing apart from the power of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our life. Amen. He's the one that makes it happen. He's the one that opens the doors. He's the one that convicts people's heart. He's the one that can speak to them eternally. Amen. It's Christ that does the work. We just simply be obedient. The greatest thing you will ever do for God in your entire life is simply be obedient and let God do the rest. 
I am learning that more and more. The more that I grow in my Christian faith, the more that I study the Bible, the closer that I get to God, the more I realize there's really nothing I can do. Just simply be obedient and let God work. And I can tell you this, that's when the work will matter. That God says, now I can use you. Now that you've gotten out of the way, now that you've gotten your name out of the way, your appearance out of the way, or whatever it is, and let me work, and you just simply be obedient, God can do things in and through you that you never thought were possible because you've gotten yourself out of the way and you've allowed God to work. The funny thing is I've noticed I, I, that the, the middle letter in sin is I. Do you know that the middle letter in pride is also I? And I've realized when I am at the center of my own life that I'm full of pride and sin. Isn't that what a coincidence that is? I is the middle letter for sin and I is the middle letter for pride. And when I've allowed I myself to be the center of my world, I'm full of pride and full of sin. Because Jesus should be the center of my life. Jesus should be the focus of my life. Everything that I should do should hands off of what his word says. Amen. Look with me now in the next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Now that verse there is just almost puzzling. When you first read it, uh, you might say the apostle might have been a little crazy, had a little little fantasism going on, maybe a little mental disturbance. It, it's kind of kind of out there, so you really have to pray about it and and, and read it and, and let God speak to you. And that's every passage of Scripture. Don't get me wrong. Without the Holy Spirit speaking to you, without the Holy Spirit residing within you, you will never truly understand the Bible. You may understand it in an intellectual type thing, but this is a spiritual book. It is alive. It is living. It will last for all eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall endure forever. He says, for whether we be ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. It's all about God. God's the sinner. We be beside ourselves, it is God. God makes the way. It's all about Him and everything revolves around Him. Amen? Verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, and if one died for all, then we're all dead. Uh, no one who studies the life of the apostle can fail to wonder what made him serve so tirelessly and so unselfishly, and be all in. Here in one of the greatest sections of all the letters, and this is a very famous verse, he gives the answer, the love of Christ. But here's a question. Does the love of Christ refer to his love for us or to our love for him? Uh, there can be no question that it's his love for us. Amen? We love him because he first loved us god's love constraineth us there's a song out there that says the reckless love of god and i totally disagree with that song although it has a catchy tune and it sounds good but god's love is not reckless ladies and gentlemen god's love is pacific 
And God said, I command my love toward you. God is in full and complete control of his love. There is nothing reckless about it. He has commanded his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved and died for us. This verse, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. Is talking about the love of Christ that is wrapped around us, that cares about us, that loves us. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. And that's the only reason that, that we love, because he first loved us. We are such selfish beings, but Christ is so selfless and gave himself totally and fully and completely over to us so that he may save us, that so that we may have eternal life. And an amazing thing is that he fully and completely knows us in a way that even your own spouse don't know you. Even a way that your own family, your own parents, nobody else knows you on the inside, your thoughts, your emotions, your details, everything about you, every hair on your head. He knows every flaw, but yet he chooses and he commands his love toward you that it might constrain you. Amen. Christ died for all and in dying for all. Jesus, he's our, he acts as our representative. He died so that we could live, so that we could have eternal life the bible says that he is our intercessor between us and god you just can't go to god you've got to have jesus so if somebody says they love god but they don't like jesus listen to me they're a liar they don't understand the truth because you cannot get to god without jesus the old testament claims it and the new testament claims it. the, the new testament is a mirror of the old testament amen everything every story points to the lord jesus christ and without Jesus, you're not going to get to God. The Bible says that he is our intercessor. Without him, you will not make it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. There is no other way. And he made that very clear. Look what we now, verse number 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 15. And that he died for all, that they which live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The apostles' argument here is irresistible. Christ died for who? Christ died for all. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world the worst vilest sorry low down no good for nothing scoundrel you can think of jesus died for that person jesus died for all that's why i love the story about john newton as mean and as nasty as he was grew up on as a cabin boy on a slave ship then became captain of his own ship not only did the slaves hate him he was so mean his own crew hated him but yet one day God saw fit to save his soul. He turned to God and God changed him and made him most of one of the most loved people. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. A wretch is a wicked, nasty, evil person. And he's talking about himself. So Christ died for all. The most meanest, vilest person you can think of, God can take their heart and soften it like you never imagined and turn them into a godly person. So why did, why did Christ die for all? Well, so that those who us 
can live through faith in him. We shouldn't just live for ourselves, but we should live for him. And that's what he wants. He wants a personal relationship with every person that's ever been born or made like Adam and Eve. He wants a personal relationship with them. See, it really is all about who you know. You ever heard that saying in the world? I forget what the statistics is. Something still like 90-something percent of people still get a job by who they know. Or, or, you know, you get into a certain place or get invited to events about who you know. It's the same way to get into heaven. You've got to know Jesus personally. I'm not talking about you know you heard of him or you know what he thinks that he did or you know he died on a cross. Because listen to me, the devils and the demons know that too, but they're on their way to the lake of fire. That won't save you. You've got to know him personally. You've got to have personally accepted him into your heart, into your life, repented of your sins, and put your faith and trust in his finished work on the cross, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day, the Bible says. You've got to know him personally. The Savior did not die for us so that we might go on living in, in petty, selfish sin lives like we just want to live. No, he died for us that we might turn our lives over to him willingly with glad devotion, serving him, loving him with him, and having a close relationship with them. Because you can be saved and still have a distant relationship with your Savior. I'm going to say that again. You can be saved on your way to heaven, but have a very distant relationship with the Savior. You most certainly can. And if you, even in the Bible, you read some of the things that happen toward, have seemed to happen toward the end of people's lives, like with Noah after the flood, with Solomon and his old, older age. They drifted away from God. You can be saved. You can be heaven bound with the hammer down and still be far away from your relationship with God. That doesn't mean that you don't still belong to him. The Bible says you're still in the day of redemption. You are his. You belong to him. But I'm talking about your relationship, like with my earthly father. No matter what I do or how good or how bad my relationship with him, if I don't ever talk to him again, I'm still his son. He's still my father. I'm still in his family. And it's the same once you're born into the family of God. But it's your relationship, your closeness with Christ. And listen to me, he wants you close. He wants you right with him. He wants you living right. And it is best for you. Amen. Look at me now in verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. We henceforth know no man after the flesh. And he talked about the spirit. You see, when you read the Bible, you've got to speak to the Spirit. And I'm learning that more and more, and there needs to be more and more teaching on the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that leads, guides, and comforts us. It's the Holy Spirit that, that reveals the Word of God to us. It's the Holy Spirit that helps me prepare sermons. It's the Holy Spirit that gives me wisdom uh, to speak. It's the Holy Spirit that gives me peace and time of trouble. It's the Holy Spirit that comforts me when all is going wrong. Amen. This flesh is weak. It'll die one day. You'll die one day. 
but that your spirit will live on. And if you belong to God, you have eternal life. Do you have eternal life today? Have you been born again? Do you know that you know that you know that you've put your faith and trust Lord Jesus Christ, that you repented of your sins and put your faith in the finished work of the cross, that Jesus died. He was buried into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And when he had the rose, he had the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Believe on him today. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. If you have been saved or are in need of a prayer, please contact us at 352-247-9200. That's 352-247-9200. Thank you for tuning in to Crossbound Ministries radio broadcast. Will you please pray about supporting our ministry and broadcast? You can go to crossboundministry.com or send your support or a gift to P.O. Box 7, Inverness, Florida, 34451. That's P.O. Box 7, Inverness, Florida, 34451. For a gift of $10 or more, we will send you a booklet. Please pray for us as our ministry and radio broadcast grows. Tune in every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. to hear a message from our preacher, Mike Sadler. You can follow Crossbound Ministry on Facebook, YouTube, and visit us on the web at crossboundministry.com. If you are a pregnant woman in need of help, there is hope. You can reach out to the Citrus Pregnancy Center. There are locations in Inverness and in Crystal River. Their phone number is 352-341-5176. That's 352-341-5176. This broadcast has been sponsored in part by Henley's Grading Incorporated for all your land clearing and hauling needs. Located in Hernando, Florida, 352-897-3507. That's 352-897-3507. This program is sponsored by Crossbound Ministry of Inverness, Florida.